matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, Declan was on to us and he says the meaning of cabal in English, a small group of people who plan secretly to take action, especially political action. And uh, it's, as I say, this is in from Declan. And Declan says, Matty loves that word. And uh, Liam uh, as well. Um, sure, there's a few operating in the Doyle, <laughs> says uh, Declan. Well, thanks for that clarif- clarification. I had a go at it uh, off the top of my head and it was very clumsy, Declan, so I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, Fran, I'd love to know how many uh, marriages, if any, take place in a leap year. I'd say women would be afraid people might think that uh, he'd never have married her. She must, if she had to ask, sister. It's, oh, I see what, I see what you mean. But sure, would anybody know? Would anybody know? You see, there you go. Anyway, let us move on, and in some way, let us uh, move back to where we started this morning, because a lot of people were commenting on that letter that Phil uh, received yesterday, where the the girlfriend was rather. Uh, appalled, I suppose, at uh, the notion that the boyfriend would go to the toilet, he's number one, and he's number two, and leave the door open and continue uh, chatting uh, to her. Now we've got some great reactions to this, but Dave is with me now. Dave, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Dave. What what do you make of this? I just think, like, you've probably seen my comment there, but, like, um, I wrote up and basically just said that, you know, you would have you would expect it to be the bare minimum standard that a parent would teach their child to close the door when somebody's going to the bathroom, mm. never mind an adult. And I suppose it, it sounds funny and it's a bit ridiculous and I suppose the comments were all a bit having a poke and a bit of fun. Yeah. But I suppose if you take it seriously from a, an adult perspective, like I'm 34, mm. um, I'm only recently in a relationship with somebody and if I found out that they were like that, well, the first thing I'd do is call them out on it. But it would nearly be a deal breaker for me for somebody doing something like that, do you know? It's just a bit gross and a bit insensitive and a bit no cop on and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I find it not acceptable, though, I have to say myself, but I'm a bit prudish where this kind of thing is is uh, concerned. But it's interesting you mention um, families and, you know, wh- where that comes from because Mary was making the point that, you know, it must come from childhood that he came from a family where there was no problem leaving doors open or whatever. Yeah, either, either he was spoiled or he was wrapped in bubble wrap as a kid. But I know, if, I mean, I can think back to times where I was being taught to go to the bathroom, obviously, yeah. as, as a kid. Yeah. And my mother would always say to me, close the door. And there would be times where, as a young lad, it's different for, I suppose, for women, but as a boy, if you're going to the number one, you might not necessarily close the door because it's just easy and convenient. Mm, but yeah. I mean, I remember loads of times where my mum would shout, close the bloody door. Yeah, and then yeah. she'd, we'd come back out and she'd go, do it again, I dare you do it again. Just do it again. <laughs> and it was a real Irish way of, of dealing with it. And my grandmother was the very same. You know, I dare you do it again. You know, you'd get hit with a blackthorn stick or a wooden spoon if you'd done it again, like, you know. So it, taught you, said, it would teach you a lesson for sure, yeah. Oh, she wouldn't, like, both my grandmother and mother would instill the fear of God in you, but <laughs> and that's why you, you would never cross them again, Fran, you know. Yeah, but, it's, it's and, an interesting one. But, I mean, I, I, I go so far as to say I even have an issue with this ensuite in, in, in the bedroom. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, go down the hall a bit and you have some privacy or something like that, Dave, you know? Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, a lot of places are 
have down suites and have the the main bathroom. I like the idea of of the two bathrooms. My brother and his fiance have a house where they have two bathrooms. Now the two bathrooms are are separate to the bedroom. Mm. Um, and I suppose Sarah has often said that she would love if she had an ensuite. But even so, the bad the bathroom is so close to their bedroom. It may as well be an ensuite. Yeah. But I can understand what you're saying. The idea of you know being in a in a bathroom in a bedroom and then you don't know the you know people's bodily functions, the smell or whatever. <laughs> so it's a bit of a weird, it's a bit of a weird one, you know. Yeah, but I, I, it probably says more about me you now than than anything else where that is concerned. Um, oh, give her a bit of advice though. What what would you say to her, Dave? What would you say to the lady in question? She would genuinely need to sit down with him yeah. and like he's an adult, he should know better himself anyway. Mm. And I would have the open dialogue, the open conversation. But if he's not willing to close the door, I would be like, look, bye, you know, I'm not dealing with that. Your mother is the one that should deal with that. And that's the other thing. You know, she's meant to be a partner, a girlfriend. She's not his mother. She's not his grandmother. She shouldn't have to be training him now to close the door, to go to the bathroom. That was a a duty that should have been long before her. So, you know... my question to her would be, are you looking to be a partner or are you looking to be a mother? Very interesting. And you know something, there's something kind of Irish about that too, isn't there? You know, in terms there of... There is. You know, yeah. the, 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 the son being mollycoddled in some way and then the poor old wife or girlfriend ends up trying to deal with it in some way. Yeah, right. It's an interesting one, that's for sure. Well, Dave, we appreciate you coming on with us today and thank thank you so much for that. Thank you. Fran, thank you. Appreciate it. Take thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now, Dave. Um, yeah, only three, three double one double three at double one. It's time for gardening. Delighted to be joined by Alton Nesbeth, our horticulturalist from Arabon. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, Fran. And great to talk to you today. Shrubs coming into flower? Yeah, this is a fantastic time of year. Always coming in into the springtime, you have these lovely shrubs that will give you great colour right through the spring into into the summer. Um, and I, there's some specific ones that I particularly like that give great colour um, at this time of the year. So things like uh, the uh, Ribes sanguinium, the, the, the uh, flowering currants, they're particularly nice and quite easy to grow. You often find them lovely pink pink or red flowers that come out of them, probably like, almost like tassels uh, of pink or, or red flowers. And they're they're almost like a, 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 like a wild current. So even taking hardwood cuttings from them, you could have a lovely hedge in no time of it. And it gives a magnificent display at this time of the year. Other ones that are very good as well are the lovely spireas. And there's a lovely one called spirea bridal wreath. And this has lovely arching white flowers come out, out of the shrub. Mm. Um, and it really gives a fantastic display. Tiny little rosettes of white flowers um, along the, the stem of it. Um, and then they just kind of ask the uh, uh, cascade over the, the edge of the shrub itself. And there's a lovely thing called uh, Forsythia. Forsythia lingwood uh, is particularly good. This is a lovely golden uh, splash of yellow. Um, and again, after the doldrums of winter, it's lovely to have a, le- a nice splash of yellow yeah. in the garden. And the Forsythias are particularly good for that. And a, a lovely combination plant with that is, and there's one just outside uh, here I'm looking at, it's a little one called um, uh, Ceanotus. And Ceanotus trisofolius is a lovely dark evergreen shrub and it has a magnificent amount of blue flowers come out in it. So if you have the blue and the yellow and, and the red or the pink um, in, in, in a border, it uh, gives a fantastic display at this time of year. So the sea notice is particularly good. And that's uh, sea notice is the uh, California lilac. Now, you can get them in, in the large shrub form or even as a climber 
or even as a ground cover as well. You see notice repens, which is lovely uh, ground cover um, type of notice, mm. and that is that's a great um, cover of blue that you can have in the borders. Other things are like the brooms. You often see these broom plants, and the brooms are almost like wispy um, um, type of shrub that has these massive yellows and reds and orange flowers from it. Brooms are quite easy to grow. They're kind of short-lived, really, though. They, they only kind of last for about five years, and then they get ten, ten to a little bit woody and straggly-looking. So every five, every five years, I tend mm. to uh, replace them. But really, they are magnificent uh, for uh, flowers. And what, what are they called again? Brooms? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Sisters, sisters, which is uh, a broom. Okay. Uh, um, and and they're a beautiful plant because yeah. um, they give give a great they're fantastic for bees as well, um, because bees love love the the brooms. You often see um, don't you know the, uh, the Genista hispanica or there's a thing called don't you know the Ulex uh, europaeus, which is the gorse that's in flower now. That mm. li- li- lovely um, yellow flower. Uh, you often see some kind of in, in uh, wetland areas or or uh, yes. um, even even along um, the roadside. This uh, gorse. Ulex Europaeus, and that has lovely bright orangey yellow flowers from it as well, which is particularly good. There's a lovely cultivar of that, which is the Genista Hispanica, which is lovely, um, almost like a broom as well, but it's more of a ground cover one, and that that's a particularly nice one. Or it just seems to have great fragrance as well, and it's nice to have mm-hmm. something that has good strong scent as, uh, at this time of the year as well. Are the lovely viburnums? Now, there's, there's lovely evergreen viburnums or there's deciduous type ones as well, but um, I like viber- viburnum fragrance. And it is very fragrant. It's particularly nice pink, pink white um, flower that comes out in it. Or then just brookwoodii, and brookwoodii is, is almost like a snowball tree. Actually, lovely round um, uh, snowball type uh, flowers out of it. But again, if you have a shrub of that, or uh, it's quite a large shrub, if you have that near to the house at this time of year, you just get the lovely scent oh, lovely, in the whole, yeah. the, the, the whole yard of that. Um, other plants in the flower on a little bit later would be like the philadelphus. Um, and I particularly like the Philadelphus because that's a lovely mock orange um, flower and there's a great scent off that as well. Um, and quite an easy thing to grow. It doesn't matter about soil type or, or it's not too fussy um, where it goes. As long as it's in full sun, mm. um, it will it, give a great display uh, right through the um, late spring, um, early summer. Other plants then that, that are just coming into flower, mm. which I think are particularly nice, are the lovely rockery perennials. Now, the things like the, the Arbretias and the Arabis and the, even the Alice and Saxatiles, and these are, are fantastic ground cover plants um, that give a great space. You often see them growing out of um, old dry stone walls, you know, the, yes. the blue and white and, and purple, uh, just uh, cascading off, off over the walls. And they're quite easy to grow. I mean, they're, bare, they're, they're almost like seed on bare rock. You know, they're, they're that easy to grow, really. Um, and again, they're fantastic in a rockery or somewhere where, where um, soil is pretty poor. They, they thrive on, they thrive quite well. So, I mean, these are fantastic plants to plant now and to have great colour into the spring, going into the summer. And just, just magnificent looking, really. Very good indeed. Uh, lots of questions uh, coming in for you. Uh, I grow hyacinths and daffodils, but they are falling down and they need support. What's wrong with them? Is it the quality of the bulbs? No, um, hyacinths and daffodils always have to be in full sun as much as possible. Now, the hyacinths tend to do get top-heavy anyway. The flower is quite big and, and it doesn't really, it's not really able to support itself. So you can use these things called split canes. So it's a little green cane that you can put uh, behind the, the, the hyacinth and either just a twist tie on that just to hold the hyacinth flower up, upright. And that, that will give a great display that way uh, and give it uh, good support. Now, the hyacinths are magnificent now at the moment um, and there's a uh, magnificent scent off them. 
with the daffodils. I always tend to sow, um, listen, to the large, large Dutch master daffodils. If you have them in an open area, in, in, the, in the lawn, or where it's nice and bright and sunny, they, they'll grow quite well. But if you have them in shaded or, or, or dapple shaded areas, they tend to stretching for the light, and then there's no support uh, for themselves. So they, they, so they get a bit straggly looking. But really, always grow the little dwarf tete-a-tete daffodils. I always find them quite good because they, they support themselves. They're a multi-headed flower on them, and, and they're lovely to the front of a border, um, and uh, there's no, uh, they don't have fall to the ground or anything like that. They really help, help support themselves. There's another lovely little plant to go with the, the daffodils, is uh, Blue Muscarii, and this is a grape hyacinth, which is a great plant in front of them as well, just to have that nice contrast of the blue and the gold um, together. Yes. And is that a bulb as well? That's a bulb as well. Oh, and right. it's, a great okay. one. it's a great one because, you see, once you plant it, you have it for, for life. Um, it really comes every year. It's almost like you, know, you have your lovely snowdrops mm. first, uh, yeah. and they, they're, they're lovely. And then the crocuses. Then you have this lovely blue muscarii, the grape hyacinth, which is lovely at this time of the year as well. And I uh, see, once you have the golden daffodils and the blue muscarii together, they're a lovely combination together um, to, for, for display along a, either a pathway or even, even in front of the borders. Yeah, this there has what I think is a common enough problem. Uh, how do I get rid of ivy that's taking over a grisolinia hedge, Alton? Now, really with ivy, especially ground ivy, um, it will, will take over at the base of the yeah. hedge and choke it um, uh, practically. So what, what you try to do is, is cut it back down to ground level as much as possible and paint on a thing called uh, either stump killer, a roundup stump killer, or even a thing called SBK, brushwood killer. Um, and that you paint that onto the stumps of the ivy, and that will kill it at the root of it, because a lot of people tend to pull at the ivy at the base of the hedge, and then by next year it comes back tenfold, mm. and it nearly nearly strengthens it. So really, if you can cut it back down to ground level as much as possible, and then paint on either SPK brushwood killer or a thing called a roundup stump killer onto the stumps of the ivy, and that will get get rid of the the, the root system of it, and uh, it won't come back then. So it keeps it lovely and clean. Mm. If you leave that go for a while, though, it's an enormous job, isn't it? It is. It is an enormous job, and it will it will actually weaken the hedge yeah. um, and choke it. Now, I love ivy myself. I, I, I have ivies up in trees and things like that, and, and it's great for the mm. birds, and, and um, especially the wood pigeon. that uh, likes the blackberries from it as well, and the bees. It's very good for bees because it's, it's a, a great plant, actually, the ivy, for flowering. Um, during the winter months, uh, and the bees c- c- can get the, the nectar from it there then, um, and as well as very very good for the, the wood pigeon. Mm. But really, um, if if it becomes too invasive, you can you can prune it back fairly hard, and especially if it's on a wall or anything like that, especially a dry stone wall, is try and cut it back to, to the wall itself because so that it doesn't uh, branch out. Once a, a storm comes or anything else, it can actually pull the tree down or even the wall down because it, 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 it's yeah. quite um, heavy. So always prune it back as much as possible to, to, to a wall or even to, to, to the tree as well. Uh, all right. Another listener says, my daughter moved into a new house in 2022, sowed new lawns last April. Six weeks of drought followed before the lawns uh, sprouted. Then there was a incessant rain uh, from July on. Lawns in many areas uh, are now yellow and she's panicking that the grass is dying off. Any suggestions from Alton? Yeah, really at this time of year, because it has been so wet, there's been an awful lot of leaching. And, um, and then as well as if there's a lot of water on you as well, you get an awful lot of patchy uh, growth in your lawns. Um, and even this yellowing, uh, discoloration, 
uh, in the lawn. So really to green it up really well, you can either use a kind of a liquid seaweed uh, feed uh, as a base feed uh, over the lawn and that will green it up within five days, make a lovely rich green colour on it. Or what I what I would recommend is an empty lawn feed, which is particularly good. And that's great if you have your front lawn and you want it looking really immaculate um, and, and especially if you have guests arriving at the end of the week, you want to green it up quite quickly. The empty lawn, liquid lawn feed is, is very good for that. Um, now really, if, for, if, if it has become waterlogged, I would do a little bit of forking uh, with it so that so that you help in the drainage. Brush in the silica sand uh, on top of the lawn as well. That helps with aeration and, and drainage um, in the lawn. In any of the very larger patch areas, throw a number two grade lawn seed in those kind of patchy areas. Mm. And um, uh, that would take about uh, three to six weeks to germinate. Now, would you do that then, now, Alton? I would even do that now. Would yeah, you? Just, All right. Yeah, okay. to, to, to encourage, because it's the, it is actually quite mild. I mean, there's, there's great growth at the moment. Uh, everything's starting to burst out into growth. And the fields are lovely mm. green now at the moment as well. So really, um, it's so the number two utility grade lawn seed um, in the patchy areas. And then after six weeks, once it's germination and everything else, just raise the normal pie, do a tick more on it, just to allow it to branch out and thicken out quite quite well, um, the, the grass seed. And then use a thing called 7617. This is a potato manure fertiliser, especially if you have a large lawn. You know, yeah. uh, it, 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 it's quite a good um, uh, fertiliser to put on new lawns, just to have a lovely green colour throughout. And then that should, that should be like almost like a bowling green lawn. It'd be really, really rich and, and very thick as well after it gives you to feed at that. Very good. So her daughter need not panic at this point. Um, uh, best time to plant a gooseberry bush and uh, what do you call black gooseberries? Thank you, says Mary. Um, which, 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 um, which, um, there's, there's Logan berries as well. But, but, now, but with the gooseberries, um, uh, it's good to plant always in, in the dormant season. So September to March is the best time to do, do them. But there's a lovely variety called uh, Careless and that's a self-pollinating variety. Now, there's quite a heavy cropper as well. So with the gooseberry, um, sometimes with, uh, with, with, if you have other varieties, it's much better to have uh, two other varieties, or even the variety called careless, which is a much heavier cropper um, uh, to put into your fruit garden. Um, now, with the gooseberries as well, I would do a tip prune on them after planting them, just so that you don't get any soft growth, because uh, gooseberries are always get this thing called Canadian mildew. Um, which attacks it. So it's very important to get rid of any soft growth on the top of the, the gooseberry bush and always keep the centre of the bush open as much as possible so you get good uh, ventilation and um, no uh, mildew or botrytis building up on, on, on the gooseberry. Always feed it with a thing called uh, sulphate or potash as well at the base of the gooseberry bush. It's, it's, uh, you just um, encourage it to produce more flowers for you. Now, the flowers come out quite early as well. So as soon as the, uh, uh, the flowers come out, allow the bees to do their, their the pollination. Mm. And then after that, use a, a netting over it, um, a bird netting over it. So you're protecting the gooseberries from, from any, any, any blackbirds or, or thrushes that may, may be devouring them. It's quite an easy thing to grow, really. All right. Uh, somebody wondering, would you recommend a long flowering clematis uh, that will flower in spring? Yeah, really any of the Montana varieties are very good. Um, they're a magnificent, um, a, a very um, 
uh, vibrant uh, colours from them. Now, Montana Rubin tends to be the, the best one of them. Uh, it's a lovely pale pink flowering uh, clematis. Now, they're quite a vigorous one as well. So they will take over, um, let's say, the uh, end of a barn or a shed or something like that. Or even if, what I like them is going up to trees because they're actually almost like a cascade of flowers that hang down from the trees then after that as well. So you can get the lovely uh, Montana Rubens or uh, Alba. Uh, so you have the lovely pink or the white um, uh, growing through each other, which is particularly nice. And I, I love the clematis um, Montana's because they're, they're an easy one to grow. With the summer flowering ones, uh, it's, it's very important to plant them a little bit deeper than normally because they tend to get um, the clematis wilt. So it's very important to, collect, to protect the lower buds from any clematis wilt that may, may attack it. That's a, like a fungus that attacks them. So really, so if you plant the summer flowering ones a little bit deeper than normally, um, they, they'll flower quite well and, and produce plenty of flowers for you. So if you wanted to have flowers right through the whole spring and um, going into the summer, is have uh, Montana, Montana Rubens and then you can go for either Nelly Mose or with lovely uh, large firing clematis with a pink stripe through it, which is particularly nice. And then uh, go on to Jack Mania or the President, the lovely deep purples and, and, uh, and blues um, into the late summer. So uh, you, can, you can have a, a good, good selection of flowers right through the, the uh, spring into the late summer. The combination of questions about raised beds. Um, how to prepare soil? Uh, what is the best time to sow carrots in a raised bed? And can you sow tomato plants in a raised bed? Uh, the best way to pl- prepare soil is really to do a thing called double digging. So what I mean by that is digging a trench and turning the soil over uh, and then adding either a, a bit of silica sand for, for drainage um, uh, just to, to in, in, if you have a very heavy soil uh, in it. Uh, and then com- uh, do that over the, the winter months. So you allow the frost uh, and, and the, the winter weather to help form a, a good crumb structure in, in the soil. So the frost does a great job on that. And as well as that, by doing the double digging, you're helping in drainage and, and um, in uh, making a better, um, lighter, loamier type soil um, in the, the veg garden. Um, with sowing uh, carrot seeds, is this at the... Um, the yes, carrots, yes. Yes. Yeah, we're sowing carrot seeds. Um, now, there's, you can get carrot seeds in, in the strips um, uh, of, of cloth that are quite easy to grow, or even um, a variety called um, uh, Autumn Timberly Early, or Autumn Glory is quite a good one. Um, and and sow those in a thing called a silica sand on the top of the ridge of the carrot. Just fold over the seed very lightly, cover the seed very lightly, and then water afterwards. Now, after five weeks after germination, uh, when that's the five true leaf stage, is to thin them out. And, and thin them out, and you can transplant any of the plants with a dibber as well in, into the soil and just water them in well. Now, carrots are notoriously uh, difficult when it comes to carrot root fly. Um, so it's very important to use a kind of an environment um, cover over the carrot. And that stops any carrot root fly from laying eggs at the base of the carrot. So then you, you don't have any attack or, and the carrots will grow quite, quite, quite well after that. Use a thing called superphosphate as well on, on any root crops. 
mm. especially cars, parsnips or even turnips as well. So superphosphate is a good fertiliser for any of your root crops. So do a nice, um, just a dressing of that over where you're having your ca- any of your root crops, cabbages or, or carrots or, or, or parsnips. Alton, always a pleasure. Happy gardening and thank you very much indeed. That's the horticulturalist Alton Nesbitt of Arabon uh, speaking to us uh, there. Uh, just before I go, uh, Patrick was on to say, Fran, I have a wet room in my bedroom and has an extractor fan so no problem with smells and it's very easy for late night uh, use if you need to wee. I also have a second bathroom which I keep for guests and when they visit the rules of the toilet is lock the door if you sprinkle while you tinkle please be neat and wipe the seat says our Patrick and uh, somebody else on to say we shouldn't be talking about such things. You could be right about that. You could be right about that. But uh, making the point as well that uh, the guy in question who insists on leaving the door open while he's doing his business um, uh, needs to be spoken to and the partner should have the guts to sort it out herself. This is one of our listeners who's rather cross with us today for discussing such topics. That's it for me. Uh, Leanne produced and Ali was out and about uh, for us on the village tour today in Holy Cross. Stephen's on the way and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? And lock that door. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.